You're listening to the Concession Stand Podcast on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. From movies and tech to WWE and video games, come let your geek flag fly with your hosts, Nick Howe and Andy Nelson. Welcome back to the Concession Stand. This is episode number 16. I am your host, Nick Howell. With me, as always, Mr. Andy Nelson. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. I still love this new open. It's fantastic. Oh, big shout out again to DJ Bryant D. The fans are loving it. The listeners are loving it. And uh, we are loving it. DJ Bryant D. deserves a Stone Cold salute. I said give me a hell yeah. Yes, that one's for you. Lots of good feedback on it, and uh, lots of good backstory on the Stone Cold Salute itself. Technically, the Stone Cold Salute is him raising two middle fingers up in the air. However, we have turned the Stone Cold Salute on this show into the beer-drinking thing, because typically when he would raise the two middle fingers, it would either be in a big skit where he would be doing something to Vince McMahon back in his heyday, or he would have just won a match, and and suddenly you'd see these beers just fly into frame, and he would catch... He would never miss one. He would catch every single one and crack it and down the whole beer like in a second. So he'd shotgun either... After a skit or after a match, he would shotgun anywhere from like six to 12 beers like that, like within a couple of minutes. And yes, he was a big guy as far as like his size, but he would get a little tipsy, according to an article that we read. And uh, uh, this is all based on a podcast that he has, his Stone Cold podcast. Uh, Mark Yeaton was a former WWE ref and timekeeper. So he was sitting over there by the bell. So when you would see these beers flying, he'd be chucking them. Mark Yeaton was always the guy that would throw these beers into him every single place they went. He was the guy and he would be able to catch him and chug, 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 chug. So he would say after a wrestling match, after he'd you know, sweat out all this stuff, <laughs> to then shotgun six to 12 beers after that, he would get tipsy and you know be stumbling out of the ring sometimes. Here's another story about it. Uh, back in the days when he was doing stuff with Goldberg, yeah. uh, apparently Goldberg didn't drink. So okay, but but he had to kind of stay in character and have fun with it. So they'd be throwing beers to Goldberg, and Goldberg's like, oh, and he would get a little tipsy too. So I guess <laughs> I guess uh, uh, it was kind of a fun thing they did. And here's one more story about the Stone Cold beer drinking. Apparently, on a tour in Japan, him and the Dudley Boys and Stacy Keebler during one of these moments where the beers kept flying in went through. Ready for this? One hundred and fifteen beers in one sitting like with the, four people. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure they were just like chug, chug, chug. But like, they weren't drinking all twelve ounces. But still, like that many beers just flying into the ring, and people like Stacy Keebler, and she was probably drunk in fourteen seconds. But <laughs> right. Well, but, to be fair, it was Coors Light. I mean, you're it's ninety percent water, but true. But uh, that is that is the the story behind the Stone Cold Salute. So it's a double middle finger. It's the it's basically drinking beers during his show. We drink beers during our show. So there you go. Story of the Stone Cold Salute. Nice. That's an awesome story. There yeah. you go, listeners. The yeah. history of the Stone Cold Salute. There it is. There it is. Uh, the LA, team, LA Times lost Nick as a reader this week. Why? Do you remember that episode we did, I don't know, like a week ago? Yeah. Where we were talking about it's an ad-ad world? Sure. Well, and remember that point I brought up where certain sites are getting smart and they're starting to block you if you're running an ad blocker? Oh, yeah. LA Times turned it on. Okay. And you even sent me some articles this week for this show that were LA, based on the LA Times. And when I opened them, bang, got that warning. Either whitelist us or turn your ad blocker off. It, nope. Interesting. Bye bye. I'll go find it somewhere else. Is that kind of like the thing where, like, if you if you look at an article on your phone, you try to scroll down, you automatically somehow click an ad that pops up too. Like you think you're scrolling, but you don't. You've hit something. That no, you, that, that's actually a user error where, they, okay. and they do that intentionally for placement to get you to click on something inadvertently. Got it. Right when you're scrolling. This is the fundamental blatant 
blocking of you reading their content until you allow them to post ads or pay them money. Or start to get a paper newspaper. Whatever. Sure. That's it under pay. Anyway, sorry, LA Times. Peace. All right. I'm out. We, we have to talk about what happened last yes, week. Yes, we do. Rogue One. We saw it. We finally saw it. And it's amazing. Oh, my God. It's so amazing. It was, in my opinion, the must-see film of 2016. All right. And arguably may even be the must-see film of the next few months into the next year. Okay, sure. Uh, We're going to talk in a future episode very soon about what to look forward to in 2017. As far as movies and games and TV shows and all that stuff, everything that we talk about here on the show. Uh, But that this film, for me, was near perfect. Five stars, in yes. my opinion, from beginning to end. I, I, I struggle to find a single fault in anything that it did. And I think one of our big takeaways was the score Yeah, uh, from Giacchino. He had four and a half weeks to write this score because he replaced uh, Alexander Desplat, who's a, a, another big-time uh, movie uh, uh, composer. Giacchino is is essentially the John Williams era parent, so it's great that he was the one that was doing this. John Williams only does, I guess, the big episodes, right? Right. So it wasn't like this movie started out with the opening crawl. That's not spoiling anything, right? Yeah. But uh, the way that he did this movie and in, in the, in the nods to sort of the style of Williams, it, it sounded like a Williams score, but it wasn't a Williams score. And, to, and he dropped in a couple of themes, nothing like bombastic and nothing that drew attention to itself. Like, look at the score I'm doing. It was the classic like Star Wars like sweeping score, but it yeah. It kept the movie moving. Uh, it 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 was really really well done, and and just the 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 tones and the sort. It, I could get into like musical theory, but I don't want to do that. It it's like I said, uh, like little piccolo things and little just. Uh, well, you could uh, hear certain yes, chord progressions could, uh, sure. that were familiar it, that it would trigger all right, that music theory. There's a there's a Lydian mode <laughs> that's a long, <laughs> yeah, but but that's sort of Williams' style, uh, and and he did it and he nailed it. And it's important to have the music in a Star Wars movie sound like a Star Wars movie yes. because that's one of the most important things. And Giacchino, in four and a half weeks, writes the score. What an amazing job he did. Yeah, and for, yeah, we talked about him a couple weeks ago, but he's done Star Trek. He did Doctor Strange. He's done a bunch of other films Yeah, uh, for kind of this fantasy sci-fi universe that we're living in now. So to have him do this one, I think we talked about how excited we were to hear that score. And, and it you've already bought it. I've listened to it separately since seeing the movie uh, last Friday. So definitely a, a big deal. There's, there's one thing that um, I wanted to bring up, and I'm going to put a link to this review in the show notes for you guys, um, my my favorite reviewer, my most respected reviewer, film reviewer, is Mark Kermode, who's BBC One Radio, big time. His favorite film of all time is The Exorcist. He's been around since the 70s. He absolutely nailed the review of uh, of Rogue One. And what I wanted to call attention to, one little piece, is how he compared the female protagonist in Rogue One to Ripley. In Aliens, okay, and how it was a very strong lead performance for a female, much akin to how Ripley or Sigourney Weaver's character in the Aliens franchise carried those films. So, as diverse as the cast was across that, there was a definitely a a strong female protagonist element to Rogue One. Keep an eye out for some of those little undertones because I would I would bet there was some studying of of Sigourney Weaver's character in, in uh, Aliens. Uh, or in the Aliens franchise that went on to prepare for this role. Yeah, and and Aliens still has uh, uh, Ripley working with a diverse cast or a group of people to help Mm -hmm. solve a big problem, and there's a certain theme of redemption there, uh, which Rogue One had as well. 
So do you remember at the end of Aliens when when uh, Ripley goes into like the Queen and and she has to do this one thing? So right. Yeah. So Jin has to climb. Wait, this wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 Andy, Andy, what? Andy. We're 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 not we're not spoiling Rogue One yet. It's it's not even been out a week. We have we have to wait. Fine. We we can't. We, sorry, guys. We can't. We're not going to spoil it less than a week since it's been out. So I'm I'm sorry, Andy, but we we can't talk about details yet. Okay. But instead, we have plenty to talk about around video games. <laughs> So speaking of that amazing sound, uh, Super Mario Run finally got here, and oh my goodness, it's good. It's really it's like playing an actual Nintendo game, a Super Mario game, on your phone. Yes, everything that makes Mario Mario, the sounds, the characters, the the boards, the elements, like the vines and the tubes and the pipes and all of that stuff is in this game, and you feel like. You're playing a Mario game again. It's very much like the uh, the 3DS Super Mario World or yep. uh, uh, the Wii U uh, Super Mario 3D World. It, it is a it is a side scrolling like the original Super Mario Brothers type game. There's a one one world, a one two world, a one three world, a one four world with a castle. You then have to progress through all of the different uh, levels to get to the point where you do finally save a princess. There's a whole like uh, social aspect of it where you can play certain thing and like you try to get toads from other people and it opens up more stuff and you can get more characters. And if you're a Nintendo guy, you can open up toad or you can open up yoshi and each of these characters have different like jumping elements it's fantastic it's fantastic you so in essence on a phone game for ten dollars which we'll talk about more about that in a second right you've gotten a full campaign you've gotten a full immersive multiplayer experience that you can challenge your friends to play against and you have a sort of sim world at the same time where you're building out this kingdom the the mario kingdom and it's got the princess, it's got the toads, it's got the houses, you can do bonus games, all of this stuff. You can design all of that yourself. So it's almost like a three-in-one game for 10 bucks. Now, this is the thing you were talking about last week. The whole thing you're against about getting the Switch is like, I don't want to have to buy a new system to get a new Mario game. Well, Bingo. guess what? You just got a new Mario game on your phone. It is it is a Mario game. Yep. It's not like a run around. And, it is a true Mario game. Yep. So the, the big thing I wanted to call out here, it was downloaded 40 million times. Wow. 40, that's four zero, not 14, not four, four zero million times in four days. And uh, Craig Schiller from Apple came out and said this was an App Store record. This is shattered at whatever was next. I don't even remember what he said was next, but this is a brand new Apple App Store record, which is a really good thing. Now, on that App Store, you get a lot of... It, it seems to be a lot of five-star reviews of people that got it and love it and yep. live in that world and appreciate what what happened here, and a lot of one-star reviews of people that are basically just bent that they have to play $10 for a game of this caliber. That's and, and what I would do is, what I would challenge them is say is, how many $60 console games have you gone out and bought and hated? Right. right? So here's a game that's $10. There's an immense amount of effort that's been put into it. It's not freaking... Slappy Fish or whatever that stupid jumpy game was. <laughs> this is freaking Mario, and it's by freaking Nintendo, not Joe Bob app developer right. in the middle of nowhere. This is Nintendo, guys. The, the guys that have been running gaming for 30 years. And handheld gaming. And handheld gaming for 30 years. So just keep in mind of what the perspective here. Um, that said, there are a couple of things that really kind of bent me out of shape about it. Uh, first and foremost, there's no offline play. Now, where does Nick play games on his phone 95% of the time? Not while you're driving. Not while I'm driving, and not while I have internet access. Right. Normally, it's something I do to pass the time on the train, like the subway, where you're underground, you have no internet access, so you can't browse Facebook or anything. Hey, I'll play this game on my phone. Or on the airplanes, when I'm flying. Again, 
I don't have internet access. I can't. Well, I guess I could if I bought the twenty-seven dollar fucking internet <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Anyway, but I would love to be able to play this in offline mode. So that's my one gripe about it. Who knows where that'll go? I know they're going to iterate on this and, and change some things. Um, but what I would say is, look, the reviews are crap. This game is well worth. I've already beaten the entire campaign. Yeah. I've got you know three four hundred toads on the multiplayer stuff. I've really gotten into it in the past week. It's well worth the ten dollars. It's I would have paid twenty dollars for this game. The reason that this is coming up is when you first download the game and you start to play the first world. Yeah. Right. It's free. Yeah. And then if you want to go play the rest of it, it's like please pay nine ninety nine for but this game. They don't game. force you to. No, they don't. And that's where people got uh, so bent out of shape about this. Is like what I have to pay ten dollars now to play the rest of the game. I just got it for free. But these are the same people who are now spending 99 cents for a microtransaction to play Candy Crush Forever or to play uh, Clash Royale or whatever these games are, right? These people will spend, without even thinking about it, because it sounds like 99 cents every time, 99 cents every time. If they do that 10 times, they've paid for Super Mario Run, right? right? And they're spending hundreds. I've heard of thousands of dollars being spent by inadvertently on some of these games. So these bad reviews aren't necessarily about the game itself. It's about, eh, I have to pay $10 to play it. Bad review. That's not a review of the game. That's a review of you being a a, A dickhead. Stupid. Yeah, that's not a review. That's not a review. (laughs) I heard heard Adam Carolla use the word ass douche the other day. Uh, (laughs) It made me laugh so hard. Send it into the forum. Entitled ass douches. Speaking of ass douche, uh, the the director Krennic in Rogue One, uh, Ben Mendelsohn plays him. Andy, Andy, Andy. Andy, okay. wait, we, we just we can't we, we can't talk about Rogue One this week. I'm so All sorry. Right. I know you're really excited about it. We will get to that in a future episode, but it, it just it can't be this week. Fine. P- please go buy uh, Super Mario Run on your phone. It is absolutely awesome. You will spend hours playing it. It's a lot of fun. Extremely well made. Um, speaking of the, spending time and entitled ass douches, um, <laughs> apparently teenagers are spending 25 times more time playing video games than they are going to the movies. This in a recent article that we read today, and that's very interesting to me that that used to be the thing to do was to go to the movies and make out with your girlfriend in the back row or get away with your friends and all that, get away from your parents, whatever. Uh, but they're not doing that anymore, apparently. Well, okay, so there's there's two sides to this, right? Is it the they're spending more time playing video games and watching movies? Is it like, okay, a guy that sits in his basement and plays for 25 hours versus the one hour that he play, that he goes and watches a movie, well, let's say 50 hours for the two-hour movie, if you take that, that sure. 25 to 1 uh, ratio? Is that what it is? Or is it playing games at any of any kind. So that could be console gaming, that could be mobile gaming, that could be PC gaming, that could be uh, tablet gaming, uh, whatever it could be. You just don't spend as much time in a movie theater. Even if you do, there's more options to play games than it would be to just sit in the basement. You, When you're waiting for something like you're talking about, yep. when you're on the subway to go see a movie, when you're in the car, let's say you have to drive 30 minutes to the movie theater, there's a 30 minutes of mobile gaming. Totally. That stuff adds up. Right. Well, I think this is. A, you mentioned mobile gaming. I think this is in big part due to mobile gaming. It's got the be. rise of of mobile gaming because it wasn't a thing when it was just you know PlayStation and Xbox ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Right. Right. Now that we've got all of these phones that are basically PCs, yeah. in your pocket that can run these kinds of of games and applications, cost just as much. You know, <laughs> they don't cost me sixty dollars. That to 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 buy a game that I may or may not like, but I don't get to play a free trial of it right. unless it's one of these digital downloads off the stores, the sure. indie games most of the time. But this is from a major game developer. And, and so anyway, I don't mean to go back to Super Mario Run, but the, the point is here is that mobile gaming, I think, is finally ramping up to the point where it's going to be taken very seriously. The other thing that I think is uh, teens today are spoiled for choice on both fronts. Sure. 
they are swimming in the amount of video game content that's available to them, and it is on a caliber that's probably above what is out there for cinema today. And on the inverse, if you look at what's available in movies today, 90% of it is just big tentpole blockbuster comic book hero and sci-fi stuff. Now, I wonder if it's just going to the movie theater or if it's watching a movie at home, because while you're watching a movie at home, guess what you could also be doing? Playing a game on your phone. And how many how many times do you hear people say, oh, I was looking at Facebook or playing on a game while I was watching a movie or watching a TV show? All the time. All the time. So I, I'm wondering... I, these stats are very innocuous in a way that just makes me question everything about the statistic. Maybe it's the clickbait uh, thing that, that we were talking about last week. Maybe, maybe, maybe exactly we got reeled in. Yeah, know? we probably did. Uh, who knows? The, the, the ultimate question I have about this is, how do I get Nintendo to make more games for phones? How do companies capitalize on these kind of statistics to when they... And maybe instead of investing in film projects, they start to invest in game projects that tell the same story. I don't know, right? There's all kinds of things that we could spin off uh, from this, but I want to see more... Super Mario Run caliber games available to me uh, on the iPhone, on the Android devices, all, so, all that stuff. Supposedly, there is an Animal Crossing game that was coming to iPhone at some point that Nintendo is developing right now. But, I mean, if you think of just the, the, the amount of success that Pokemon Go and Super Mario Run had, which are both Apple-exclusive titles, right? I'm sure Nintendo wants to keep doing that, and I know Apple wants a piece of that, too. So, let's think of like a they couple... They get a piece of every single one exactly. of those purchases. So it's only a matter of time before there's a Zelda game on your iPhone or your oh. iPad, which would be fantastic, right? That's the, that, or Donkey Kong or whatever it is. I mean, Mario Kart's that's possible. If there was a if there was like a controller with your Bluetooth, you could connect to that, or maybe you could play it on your Apple TV. It, the, the future is very bright as far as Nintendo and, and Apple and a mobile gaming thing. I think we've just scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. And yes, they were the last ones in the game of this whole like, well, we don't know if we want to get into like Sonic from Sega has been on phones forever. Yep. And the, but but now, it was just a Temple Run clone, frankly. Sure, but, you know, now with that rings. They, but now that they've seen what they can do, uh, I would argue that more than likely their biggest uh, moneymaker this year, other than maybe the 3DS, is probably going to be a combination of Pokemon Go and Super Mario Run. Totally. Those numbers are staggering. So, totally. The exciting part of this for me is that that's going to influence how they develop go, going forward. Will we get to a point where we have an iPhone-exclusive title? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe Super Mario Run technically is. Uh, I think you can also they're good, they're talking about developing it for 3ds, from what I understand as well. Okay, where you can download it on both, whatever. Um, anyway, that's all speculation at this point. By the way, I do not know that for sure. But the other thing you're saying is is the other video game companies may see this and be like, oh, and, and they've already time. started it with like Madden. Is is it, there's a mobile Madden? And yes, it's not as it's in depth as like the Madden that you play, but it's still a football sure. game in the Madden thing. Um, all these game uh, companies, Rockstar, all of those companies could make like smaller versions of all of their games or tie-ins to their games and the thing that you have to do on the phone in order to you know to get your console game. But there's going to be a certain point. We've talked about the consoles going away that maybe we'll get to the point where these mobile games will, and 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 the technology of the actual devices we're playing them on will catch up to the console thing and and we could be seeing this. I, I think they already have. They're already good enough there. You said you said a specific word, Rockstar, there, and and that kind of leads me to my next topic. Uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, yeah. is back in the news, and basically there's a guy from Rockstar that's an anonymous source that's been leaking stuff. Uh, basically, it started with GTA Five. With the online stuff, he was leaking some of those out. Well, what he's now released is, uh, or leaked out to the press is that Red Dead Redemption 2 has a release time frame, and not a specific date, but they're saying fall or autumn of 2017. Perfect. So perfect timing for the holiday season. The other thing that was leaked out was that uh, it's going to be a model 
just like GTA 5. Which is exactly what we wanted. Great. Exactly what we want. So we're going to have a big open world, and instead of a city, we're going to have a Wild West frontier. We're not going to be playing John Marsden, the protagonist from the first one. We're going to be playing a threesome, much like GTA 5. It was three individual characters with interlinking storylines. Beautiful. Love it. And there's going to be a very immersive online version down the road that will be released at a later date. Much like GTA 5. So they have taken the GTA 5 template and painted a Wild West theme on it, and I cannot be more excited about this. Which is perfect. And Rockstar is notorious for pushing games, but if they can get it out next holiday season, they will own the holidays. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to be game of the year next year. I'm going to go ahead and call it right here. There you go. That said, it's going to be very close between Mass Effect Andromeda and Red Dead Redemption 2. So we'll see how those play out throughout the year. More on those in our uh, 2017 episode coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, Minecraft was also released uh, for Apple TV just in time for Christmas. That's kind of a big deal for all the people with Apple TVs and kids. Maybe they don't want to drop four or five hundred dollars or upwards of a thousand dollars on a a console kit and a bunch of games. Now they can buy Minecraft for what is it, ten bucks? Sure, something like that. Uh, Right on the Apple TV, you can hook a joystick up to or a controller up to it, and they can play Minecraft to their heart's content. Speaking of playing video games instead of watching movies, that game is a super time suck, and I've never I've never played like uh, for more than like twenty minutes. But I know people. People or and I know kids and my family that are just into it. Yep. So, but, um, th- but that's another example of of a, of a normal game getting into a mobile market. You mentioned something earlier where we're going to start to see these kinds of titles uh, make their way more into mobile. Not even mobile, but I would say non console platforms. Yeah, right. In non traditional console platforms like Apple TV and phones and tablets, etc. Right. One more thing about Nintendo before we move on. Nintendo's very big news this week. Um, the saga continues around the their lack of stock for the 3DS and the NES Classic. Uh, somebody put us. So there's a bunch of tweets going on this week. People are Christmas shopping last minute, trying to find 3DSs, trying to find NES Classics, and they're nowhere to be found. And I can't figure out why in the world they would do this. But you had an interesting theory on this. Okay, so there's two things. The Classic, I get it. They undermade them. They didn't know the uh, the, the the demand would be so big for it. And uh, I want one. You want one. We don't need one. But it's it, like we're caught up in the whole demand of it right. and having like a tiny Nintendo. Great. But the 3DS, this system's been out for years. Yeah. And why don't they have a bunch of 3DSs? This, it's not like this system's going away. They're going to keep having them, right? Why would they not give kids the option to get the 3DS? And I have a theory on it. Ready? It's because they don't want to put a bunch of 3DSs in people's hands when they've got the Nintendo Switch, which is also a mobile gaming device that mm-hmm. they're doing, coming out in a couple of months, literally three months away. So they're March, worried. right? Yeah, yeah, that's the theory. So they're worried, and they're about to announce something in January about the 3DS, their big you know, price point and what you get. So I, I think they don't want people being like, well, wait a minute, I just bought a handhold or a handheld Nintendo device. Why would I go buy another one that I can take with me? So is that some sort of strategy that they're not telling us about? I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. Maybe. I could see that. I could totally see that playing out where they didn't want to undermine or cannibalize uh, upcoming sales of a brand new console system for something that's years old. Or maybe they have a shocker coming and we're going to have a 4DS Around the corner. Ooh. I don't know. Oh, the f- Maybe there's a new version coming soon. So like a Nintendo 3DS with like Smell-O-Vision? Is that the 4D? Know. Or I how does that Maybe work? Maybe it's got VR built in. Who knows what the <laughs> hell it's going to have, right? Maybe you don't even need the device anymore. You just put a chip in your head. I don't know. Uh, moving on. <laughs> I-, I hate to bring up my three least favorite words again, but... Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, oh, man, Sky. Oh. <laughs> it's a new game that we saw a teaser for called Astroneer. The only thing I'm going to say is that this is the first of what I think are going to be many... 
clones or better versions of what No Man's Sky ultimately was trying to do sure. and just didn't get there and didn't execute. Uh, but it looks nice. You build your base. You can have friends come over. It's a lot of the same kinds of activities. It's open world exploration, open universe exploration, multi-million planets, all that stuff, right? But a lot of the things that No Man's Sky fell short on or got wrong, they've fixed or it is included in this game. So I, I'm, this isn't the first open universe exploration adventure kind of game that I've seen. Uh, I think Mass Effect is also going to have some elements of that with some choose-your-own-adventure and uh, third-person shooter elements to it as well. So I think this is the first of where we've now gone from these adventure games into space. So I think we're going to see more and more of these uh, coming around. Hey, you know what had some awesome space battles? Do you remember in Rogue One when the uh, TIE fighter... Like, Andy, Andy, uh, Andy. Come on, man. Seriously. We we have to wait. We It's not even been out a week. We, we, we can't talk about Rogue One yet. Fair enough. So the Rogue One was a sort of backward step behind Star Wars. Let's talk sure. about backwards compatibility in video games. I know I can't talk about Rogue One now. Fine. So... Uh, do you remember the Bioshock games? That, I love them. Uh, yeah. Weren't they great? Uh, I remember the first one being I was just wrapped up in it in rapture. Um, I was wrapped <laughs> up in that first game. I hated the ending of it. I, I played the second one. I never played Infinite, but it was uh, a game of the year contender. Um, all of those games are now going to be backwards compatible on Xbox yeah. uh, One. They're doing a really good job, in my opinion, of all of this backwards compatibility stuff. Uh, uh, I would say that they're probably leading the charge as far as the mm-hmm. consoles. Yes, Wii U has like stuff that you can download that's backwards compatible, but it's like the really old 8-bit stuff. We've heard rumors of GameCube stuff coming to uh, the Switch. doesn't matter. But as far as playing like the games that you liked on a previous system, right. I think Xbox One is leading the charge here. Well, it's interesting that um, so PlayStation has PS Now, I think is what it is, yeah, where but you can play them and stream them, yeah, but, but it's, it's like not PS1 really the games. same thing. It's not, it's not like in a couple of PS2 games, but not the PS3 games, nothing like big. Right. So the irony here is that uh, Microsoft has completely stayed out of this and they've left this up to the game developers as to whether or not they want to make their games backward compatible on Xbox One. I didn't know this. So okay. the 2K Games has come out and decided that they're going to do this. Like if you have your Xbox 360 discs for all three of those, you can literally put them into the Xbox One, it will download whatever files it needs, and with no additional charge, you'll be able to play the entire Bioshock trilogy on your Xbox One. Or if you had bought the game digitally back in those days, which you could have, uh, it, you would just it would know that you own it, yeah. and then and you just play you, it. Even if you don't have any of them, they're selling the games, again, at a discounted rate. So I, PlayStation is doing the whole remastered thing right now, and I'm seeing Xbox taking a little bit of lead. There's over 300 titles now that are backwards compatible from 360 games up to Xbox One, whereas we're seeing... Now, I'm going to argue for PlayStation's take on this, honestly, okay, because of my experience with them. I've now played through Skyrim uh, Remastered, and I'm working on Last of Us Remastered right now, and I'm almost... I think I'm almost finished with it. You did Uncharted. Uh, I did the Uncharted uh, Nathan Drake collection, which was a remaster, right? And I, it is absolutely phenomenal. So the difference to me is that I'm not just taking old content and loading it onto uh, modern hardware. They've literally gone through the effort, and I'm okay spending money for this. Uh, they've literally gone through the effort of updating all of the graphics, the engine, the all of that stuff that has to do with the game. To modern day architectures, and this isn't like Star Wars remaster uh, with like Lucas going back and changing stuff. This is just taking the existing graphics and making them better, pumping them way up with you know hardware that's ten years down the road from where we were in PS3 days, right? Yeah. So I'm all for it. I think that is a more thorough 
uh, way of doing it. I do wish that I could put my PS3 game into my PS4 and play it. Why can't you? Why? I just that drives me nuts. Because then you won't go buy the remaster. Anyway, I don't know. It does drive me nuts. This is not something new. This has been this way with the consoles for as long as I can remember. But when you had a PlayStation 2, you could put all your PlayStation 1 discs in and play it. Why did they stop that? That drives Probably me crazy. Probably because they learned a very valuable lesson during that time that we'll never know, but I, I don't know. It's maybe. something economic, That right? was in the late 90s. That was in Y2K when the, two, the PS2 came out. So we'll, we'll never really know what that was. But I, I hate seeing that stack of PS3 games that is 30 deep, sit there on my shelf and do absolutely nothing because I've got newer hardware? That doesn't make any sense. I just don't get why we wouldn't take the time and use the old games and actually put them into the new technology. The big thing in tech this week was Mark Zuckerberg has announced, you know, after 10 years of doing Facebook and a bunch of acquisitions, he's finally built something else substantial. And what I really want everybody to take home here is that he is literally, as a project for the year of 2016, and he posted this at the very beginning of the year, sat down and told himself and everyone else that he was going to build his own home AI system. And this week, we actually got videos of it working, of him describing how he did it. He's gonna, I think he's going to open source the, the, the code so that people can develop on it and all this kind of stuff. So... The, the beauty of this is when he first posted it, Arnold Schwarzenegger literally responded, replied to his post, and said, I want to do the voice. So as R- a- RDJ, Robert Downey Jr. said he wants to be Jarvis, right? Like, yeah, there's all these people that, that are lining up. Right, but so he geeked out in the video, a little, another video where um, I think it was he, they did a year one-on-one with him and his COO, his number two, uh, that was posted today, where he described Arnold reaching out and saying, hey, I want to do this. So they brought, he has a total geek and fanboy. He brought him in and was like, oh my God, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He wants to record these lines. And it was total just, I don't know, you know, just uh, anything. Oh, your toast is ready. (laughs) So if you can imagine, I'll put some links to the videos or maybe put them on the the post, but uh, you guys can go watch those. Ultimately, uh, he ended up putting up a poll to see who the fans would want. And overwhelmingly, more than 10,000 people voted that they wanted Morgan Freeman. So he in this demo video that he put up first, it was all Morgan Freeman doing anything from waking him up in the morning, playing music throughout the house, or having playtime with his uh, his daughter Max and doing Mandarin lessons with Max. This is not like Alexa or Google Home Assistant or Siri. This is like a this is what you would want of like you just talking to somebody and somebody talks back like what's the what it's not like what's the weather like. He's like, "Hey, you know, I know that you like this and hey, there's somebody at the front door and it has face recognition and he realizes that it's his parents. Your parents are here." And he's like, "What?" And then like it, it it's it's and it unlocks true, the doors for them and lets them in and right. just lets you know, hey, your parents are coming in. This is not. This is the true Jarvis like thing that Tony Stark created in in Iron Man. This is it, this is what he's working on. And here's the thing that a lot of people forget about Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg's the owner of Facebook, but he was the guy that wrote the code and, and figures all this out. Right? Mm-hmm. He is a he is a coding and and. Uh, computer genius. Yes. So if there's any guy that's going to pull this off and make this work correctly, it's going to be that guy. And uh, just this video that I've seen of it, it makes me want it already. Yes, no kidding. I mean, he is one of the top software developers in the world when it comes to logic and this kind of stuff, right? Uh, it's being written in PG- PHP for those of you that know this kind of stuff, which is kind of questionable. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we have one of the top software developers and engineers in the world building the beginnings of the very simple AI beginnings 
uh, of what this is going to turn into. And, and he even admits that we're at the very beginning, very, barely scratching the surface. Turning on lights and unlocking doors is trivial. Uh, and it's not to the point where it's going to be Jarvis where it can execute a lot of this stuff, but the opportunities are there. What has to come is the devices and the manufacturers have to come around to exposing functionality that can be controlled with computer commands. And that's where we're going to go next. But at the end, it's all about the art- artificial intelligence, and it's important, and it's, got that it's great that it's got a good voice. Kind of like KTSO in Rogue One has an artificial intelligence. Andy, inte- Andy, oh, okay. you know, this, we cannot talk about Rogue One, man. Right, I, right. I, I know I keep harping on this, and I know you're excited about it. But very just, excited about it. But they, the fans may have, the listeners may have not heard or seen anything about Rogue One yet. We have How to be is that possible? To it that. made a bajillion dollars. Isn't everybody that is a fan of this show <laughs> at least seen it, or is, is by now it's a, it's a week old? That's a fair point. If you're a listener to this show and you haven't seen Rogue One yet, I, maybe you should consider the priorities in your life. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, scientists prove that the aging process is now reversible with some special gene therapy. Now, I want this this was a big news item this week and I want to make sure that everybody understands that this has not been tested on humans. That it would be kind of, you know, against God or playing God or whatever you want to do with that, but they've successfully apparently done it with mice and rats where they have reversed the effects of aging such as hair color or uh, you know, other things that have to do with aging. So theoretically, could this be done on humans? It's possible. Uh, I think it remains to be seen as to whether or not it's going to be a thing or not. It's definitely possible to reverse aging because in Rogue One, if you remember near the end of the movie, there was this thing where they Andy, Andy, dude, we're going to have to record this whole thing over again. I know we're excited about Rogue One, but just God, you know, just (sighs) can we get through one segment without a Rogue One reference, please? Nope. Uh, Speaking of the future. Google is spinning off their, they have a new self-driving car business unit uh, that's been going on for a while called Project X, and they've kind of been using this as a pilot uh, <laughs> for doing the Google Maps stuff where they drive the cars around and take pictures of everything. Yeah. Uh, in, in a couple of, I think in Austin and in San Francisco. Of course. Uh, of course, right? Uh, they've spun this off, and it's and you know how they renamed everything, and now it's Alphabet and Google Search, and everything is underneath that now? Oh, whatever. Uh, whatever. It's all just funny money in that sense but they've now spun off project x into a company called waymo 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 i, I don't eat really i like waymo it. better they made the, yeah they made the wet banana and but the uh yeah they spun this off and i think the idea here is to legitimize it turn it from a project into a business uh into us into a part piece of the company give it its own structure give it its own money give it all that stuff right to really legitimize self-driving cars going forward and and I think this is where again it's another one of those things like AI where we're a long ways off from this becoming any kind of reality but I think it's happening like there's self-driving cars in San Francisco for Uber yeah we talked about that last week right so Google's actually going to manufacture a self-driving car or the software for it I think they're actually doing a car right so I don't know if they're doing a car I know that they're doing stuff with Chrysler um, to pilot some stuff for self-driving and autonomous operations but you're still it's not driverless it's still going to do some stuff like you could let go of the, you remember in um, I robot with Will Smith where the the steering wheel just kind of went away and he just sure. did whatever right sure maybe one day we can sit in the driver's seat and drink a beer and have the car drive us to the bar or drive <laughs> us home I don't know <laughs> I think that's where they're going with it they're working with other manufacturers I don't know whether or not they're making their own car at this point uh, it's a lot of confusing stuff we should probably break that down break it down 
Wow, there's a ton of wrestling stuff to talk about this week. Do we have time for that? This week on Sunday, we had the Roadblock pay-per-view, which might be one of the worst pay-per-views I've ever seen. Yep. The New Day dropped the titles to, wait for it, Sheamus and Cesaro. That's who they ended their record-breaking title reign to? Oh, come on. Sami Zayn survives his wrestling 10-minute match against Braun Strowman. Uh, somehow, magically. Sasha and Charlotte had their Iron Man match. Iron Woman. Charlotte wins in sudden death, and Sasha gets completely busted open, Ooh. making Charlotte the four-time women's champion already in her short reign. Woo. Jericho interfered with the main event, leading to a disqualification where Owens retains the title and renews the Owens and Jericho friendship. Who cares? Monday night on Raw, Sasha calls out Charlotte, but instead of Charlotte coming out, Nia Jax comes out and whoops her ass. Uh. Enzo has to attend sensitivity training. Braun Strowman can't find Sami Zayn anywhere and is really pissed off, interrupting all the matches that he can because he can't find Sami Zayn and commences to destroy all of the Christmas trees in the present. Bailey comes out and challenges Charlotte instead and goads Charlotte into a match, pinning the champion. Could we potentially see a Nia Jackson Bailey for the number one contender versus Charlotte at Royal Rumble? Hmm. <laughs> Owens and Jericho versus Reigns and Rollins for a tag team main event. Owens and Jericho try to leave as they normally do, but Rollins and Reigns aren't having it. So they pull them back in the ring, but Braun Strowman's pissed off and he's not having any of it. Oh my God, he comes in and just lays waste to Rollins and Reigns. Everybody's mad. Oh my God, Braun Strowman is not happy. SmackDown Live the following night, John Cena is announced that he will return after a long absence from getting shoulder repair surgery and doing American Grit, apparently. James Ellsworth finally, finally gets his WWE Championship opportunity against AJ Styles and commenced to get destroyed. Wow. Wow, he got wrecked. Ziggler wants his title shot, but he's interrupted by Baron Corbin, so Ziggler goes to Daniel Bryan and wants a match against Baron Corbin, but Daniel Bryan says he has to give up his opportunity for the WWE Championship if he loses to Corbin. In Ziggler fashion, he's willing to risk it all. And finally, Apollo Crews is really, really fast. And so are you, sir. Well done on that. Catch your breath for a second, and let's <sighs> move on to TV and movies. Oh. All right. You okay? Listen, uh, while I towel myself off here, uh, can you t- <laughs> tell me about the uh, the Blade Runner trailer that All you saw right. this week. So there was a Blade Runner teaser. It's coming out next October, maybe at the same time as Red Dead Redemption. Who knows? Uh, we got to see some ideas, some, some sort of throwback stuff to some things we know. Uh, there was a piano note hit, and it's Ryan Gosling that apparently is a replicant, maybe, and Harrison Ford shows up. Which uh, you would be surprised because if you talk about Rogue One and Harrison Ford, Han Solo, uh, as a, uh, Andy, uh, right. Andy, God Almighty, dude. Okay, I mean, really? Like, I, I'm gonna have to just. I know. I, okay, fine. Back to Blade Runner trailer. Um, it got me excited about it, uh, but there's not enough to just just, just to geek out over. But yes. Not yet. I think I think we're going to see more and more of that over the next couple of months. It's enough to be like, okay, I'm in. Except you should know that it's not directed by Ridley Scott, which we had said <gasps> a number of episodes ago. Yes, Ridley Scott has his, has his name all over it. It is directed by the director of The Arrival. Just so you know, I know you're not a fan of The Arrival. Or, uh, oh, the director God. of Sicario. Uh, I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be fine. 
I'm I'm excited to see it. So I, I just got a lot less excited about it. No, you didn't. It's still uh, I'm Blade just kidding. Runner. It's, it's still Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. Harrison Ford's in it. I'm I'm in. Sold. There's, yeah, another trailer that dropped this week. Uh, John Wick Two. I have not seen John Wick One. You are a fan of John Wick One, right? I'm a fan of anything Keanu Reeves touches. In my you know anything that he's done, I'm I'm kind of I'm gonna go see Chain Reaction with him and Morgan Freeman. That was actually kind of good. All right, it was okay. You know, <sighs> it, it was fun. He has a way of making these kind of. Fun action movies, right? And he's done it throughout his whole career. You know, going all the way back to like Point Break and Speed, all of those movies, right? This is kind of his the MO. Matrix movies, yeah, the I Matrix, mean, yeah. Okay, so we watched the trailer earlier tonight, and I was genu- genuinely excited. It's great because we just don't get to see a lot of gunplay action movies anymore. It's just not a thing that exists. And so uh, you said you should go back and watch John Wick, so I'm going to do that this week. But then you also uh, brought me uh, uh, Street Kings, but I've never seen this movie. I was aware of it. Uh, and then you showed me this opening sequence in Street Kings. And I was like, all right, this movie's pretty cool. And guess who shows up in that? Yeah, Forrest Whitaker. Exactly. Forrest yeah, he Whitaker. plays the captain. Exactly. And speaking of Forrest Whitaker, you know, he plays Saw Gerrera in I, Rogue I, One. Andy, and But God, he's got longer hair. Dude, just no. <laughs> we can't talk about Rogue One this week. Fine. Can we talk about Forrest Whitaker? And I can never know what his real accent is because he always plays. Like, there's always some different accent he does in every What's up movie. with his eye? That's it's, what I want to. Forrest, you, that was so stupid it gave me Forrest Whitaker eye. It's a fun <laughs> meme that goes around. Okay. Well, that's just. <laughs> it, it's, it's nothing we can do about that. That's something he was born with, I imagine. But uh, yeah. Uh, John Wick 2, I'm into it. Yes. Uh, absolutely see John Wick if you have not seen it yet. Uh, it is absolutely fantastic, and you will not see where it goes. I promise you. So the other thing that we saw this week was the Lego... Actually, no, it wasn't. We just saw it this week, but it's been going around for a couple of weeks, and it's been one of those that's been getting cut from recent episodes. But the Lego Batman uh, Justice League trailer uh, has been out for a couple of weeks now. In my house, we're big fans of the Lego movie. Yes. Uh, we have Legos all over the house. I have two kids. Uh, we've been fans of the... They, there are four Lego Batman trailers. You can find them on iTunes what? trailers. Yeah, there's four of them. So it's sort of like a sequel to the Lego movie because Lego Batman was set up in that movie with Will Arnett being Batman. And so now this is just a standalone Lego Batman movie. Zach Galifianakis is playing the Joker. Ray Fiennes is playing Alfred. Uh, the trailer it looks hilarious. It looks like a lot of fun. Yes. And uh, it's it's arguably the next superhero movie that's coming out because it's coming out in February. Oh, wow. That soon, huh? Yeah. It looks fantastic. I, I have to say, I was very pleasantly surprised. When I saw the title and I watched the trailer, I was like, is this going to suck? No, it isn't. Not. No, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It looks absolutely awesome. I'll put a link to it for you guys if you hadn't seen it in the, uh, in the show notes, so check that out. Uh, a couple of other little Batman newsy things here. Look, Ben Affleck has come out and said that he absolutely refuses to play Batman in any uh, WB film that he does not have script oversight on or write it, writes himself. And if you look at the next film that's coming up, it's The Batman. He and Jeff... Jeff Johns. Who's, Jeff Johns. Who's like one of the DC Comics architects. He made The Flash relevant again. He brought Green Lantern back to life as Hal Jordan. Like, this guy is comic books. And if there are two people that are in charge of writing a script, I want it to be Affleck and Jeff Johns as far as Batman. Now, I don't know if if Affleck can actually say, like, I don't know what his contract is. I'm like, I'm not doing it. unless like, They're like, whatever, dude. You sign up for like... He's 50. got that kind of, you know, power to be but, able to go in and do it. And they need him for the continuation. But right? if his contract says, like, okay, you're Batman for the next five movies and all these Justice League movies, he can't really get out of it. But he can't say, like, I'm not going to be... I think that's just him coming out and saying, like, it's a way of them saying, like, don't worry. The Batman movie is going to be good because I'm writing it and Jeff Johns is writing it. I guess, right? Because he's probably he's probably worried about like all the terrible backlash that Batman v Superman got, and he just doesn't want to be a part of that sort of thing again. So 
Yeah, yeah, but exactly. But protecting his image and protecting the image of Batman, and he actually cares about the Batman character. That's a good thing. That that if WB is going to give, not the frog from WB Network, but like if the (laughs) exactly if if they're just going to actually make it good, and and if he has to approve the script in order to say like, okay, I'm going to do this, and if Warner Brothers is like, all right, Ben Affleck, whatever you want, great. That's a good thing for for comic book and movie fans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing he said was Jeremy Irons was that he promised Jeremy Irons that you know, the Alfred character would get a lot more screen time in the Batman. Yeah, and he, I'm excited about that. I yeah. love Jeremy Irons. I, I after watching Gotham uh, into three seasons now, I, I that guy that Alfred makes the show. Yes, in, in that uh, series, and he he is the glue that holds all of it together, in my opinion. So I'm all for. I've always loved Alfred as a side character. And I think it's great that I think Jeremy Irons is one of the classical actors of, of our age. And, and it's just absolutely amazing. I'm really hoping that he gets some good presence there. Yeah, we got little glimpses of him in Batman v Superman. There were some more stuff with him in the extended cut. But yep. uh, it, it's great because he's not just like the yes or whatever you want, uh, Alfred. He's more of like the involved, actually caring about. Uh, it, it's it's very uh, similar to the Michael Caine version yeah. that we saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm all for it. The interesting thing, though, is that I think we'll get a little bit more of the uh, operative background out of him versus what we saw in Michael Caine in the Dark Knight trilogy and the Nolan right. trilogy. Right. So uh, that's that's something to be excited about there as well. Um, staying with the DC Universe a little bit, we got some behind-the-scenes shots of uh, Jason Momoa. In as Aquaman, yep. uh, Zack Snyder tweeted some stuff out. All of the, you know, uh, Momoa was putting some stuff out. So uh, we're getting to see that come together. I'm very excited about that one. There was also a three shot release of the Flash and Batman and Wonder Woman this week from Justice League. Like they're doing whatever they can to be like, okay, remember all that Marvel and Disney stuff with Star Wars and all that stuff. Uh, we also got Justice League. Hey, look, we're gonna do stuff too. So on the comic side of the DC Universe, there's a comic that dropped this week, which is Justice League versus Suicide Squad, number one. Apparently, there's a whole storyline that's going to exist between those two universes. And there's another one that I thought was very interesting, and I haven't read it yet. Uh, the Green Lantern universe is going to do a crossover with, get this, the Star Trek universe. What? Yeah, that's kind of cool, right? Uh, uh, do the lanterns end up like trapped in time, and they have to go get them in I deep space? Know. Damn it, Jim, I'm a lantern, not a, wait, what? Damage him, I'm a doctor, not a superhero rescue guy thing. All right. Uh, Lastly, here in TV and movies, uh, Disney has broken the record of $7 billion annual gross for the year of 2016. That is absolutely amazing, but I'm not that surprised. No, you can't be with all the intellectual property that they own. I mean, between Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Disney, Walt Disney Animation, all of this stuff. I mean, they, they I looked this up. They've got five of the top 10 films of 2016. Five. They've got half of the top grossing 10 films of the year. Probably going to be six once you uh, count Rogue One stuff in there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Marvel stuff, I, I actually watched Doctor Strange finally this week. Oh, I, I got around to it. So good. I absolutely loved it. Hey, you know, Mads Mikkelsen played the bad guy in uh, in that, and he was uh, he was also the good guy. He was Jyn Erso's dad in Rogue One, and he does a great Andy, job. He's the guy Andy, that designs. No, no, uh, no, no, no. We just... Guys, I promise you we are going to break down everything about Rogue One, but Andy, we cannot talk about it this week. It has been less than a week. It wouldn't be fair. I don't want people to not listen to the episode because they haven't seen Rogue One yet. So. Maybe we'll do, all right, fine. Maybe we'll do like a short, like 15-minute, like our review of it at some point. You know what? Yeah, that's a deal. I'm in for that. Let's do a bonus episode for Christmas where we talk about nothing but Rogue One and the listeners can choose to listen to it or not if they've seen it. 
Fair enough. Let's do that. And, right. I'll, and I'll stop. Yes. Or, okay. Or will I? So for our main story tonight, uh, guys, it's Christmas. It's the holiday season. Whatever you celebrate, whatever it is, it's a time of celebration. It's a time of reminiscing. It's a time of giving. It's a time of spending time with family, all of that stuff. And we kind of wanted to go through our ghosts this year. Now, the typical Scrooge storyline of Ghost of Christmas Past, Ghost of Christmas Present, and Ghost of Christmas Future. But we're going to do it in a fun way for you guys. Uh, so, look, for Ghost of Christmas Past, this is where Andy and I kind of wanted to have an open-ended conversation with you guys about some of our favorite memories and milestones from childhood, and hopefully you'll share some of yours with us as well. So, what was one of the first like memories and milestones of your childhood at Christmas? My family has a big tradition, at, or had a big tradition at Christmas time. Uh, it, was, it was an event. Like literally you would, you would get up and there would be a bunch of presents under the tree and it would be my brother myself and my parents and my grandparents, uh, on my mom's side. And we would all sit around and we would do this thing where like we would see all the presents, but we wouldn't open them yet. We would go have breakfast and during breakfast, we would open up all of our stocking gifts. Okay. Now, not at the same time. This was an event because you had to sit and watch each person open up each gift. Wait, you got gifts in your stockings as well? It wasn't just candy or anything? I'm talking wrapped gifts. I'm talking like six to seven stocking items in each stocking. Holy smokes. Right? I got like batteries and candy canes. Sure. So as you're eating breakfast, and it would start with the oldest person. So my grandfather went first, then my grandmother, and then my dad, then my mom, then me, then my brother. And it would go around the circle. So breakfast would take like an hour and a half. To get all through all those right. things. And then we would go over into the room and we would we would pass out all the presents. And so then you would kind of like stack up like who had the most stuff. Like my brother and I would always be like competing. Like, oh, it looks like you got like 12. I got like 15. Like, oh, sweet. Right? <laughs> always. So yeah. then you do the same process of you would watch each family member open up each gift. And then you would be like, oh, that's cool. And every year my grandfather got this and grandmother got this. And my dad would get like a farmer's almanac so he could read it when he was taking a dump. Right. right? <laughs> and grandpa would, grandpa would get his car wash things. Right? And right. so it was that kind of thing. And then... There would always be this moment near the end where like I had like this big thing that I didn't get or my brother got this big thing that he didn't get. My parents were like, oh, what's this? And they'd look behind the couch and there was like a big gift. Like, there's this other thing that we found. We're like, oh, my goodness. You just lose your mind. Right. Yeah. And it was like, oh, oh there's that, the one thing. And like you finally open it up. It's like, yay. And like Christmas went. Now, this entire process from getting up and coming around the corner and seeing all the presents under the tree was like five to six hours long. Oh, my God. Right? And then we would go make the big Christmas turkey or whatever. And then, uh, so, yeah, the Christmas for us was a big event. What did about you, you go to another relative's house or did you all no, just it was always, all self-contained? Like my parents had like a, had a thing about we always woke up in our house and like, you know what I mean? Sure. And that was like the thing. Yeah. Um, and, I've, and I've transferred that on to my kids, which we'll get to in the Christmas present stuff. But what about you? I think one of my biggest memories was the year that I got a four-wheeler. What? And, and it's not that I got a four-wheeler. It's the reaction as a kid. Imagine being a 10 or 12-year-old kid and walking out into the living room and seeing the area where your sister's presents always are being completely filled with wrapped sure. gifts and boxes. And you look over at your, at your section, and there's nothing. Oh. Imagine being that kid. Oh. So <laughs> the, the, the story behind all of this is that uh, there was a year where I walked out and my, everything was over there on my sister's side, and there was nothing but a little dish sitting on the couch where my presents usually were, right? And in that dish, there was a key with a little Honda keychain on it. And I had no idea what was happening. I was just really bent out of shape as a kid that, oh, what, did I do something wrong? Was I bad? I don't know. <laughs> so I pick it up, and I'm like, it's, I, what is, why are your car keys here? I don't know. And he goes, that's not your car keys. That's for you. And I was like, Does it open a lock where all my presents are? I don't know. what He goes, well, maybe. Maybe they're outside. Turns out I got a four-wheeler for Christmas, right? 
We won't tell the rest of that story because it's really sad and miserable. Uh, but the yes, that was one of my more fond memories memories of getting up. Now, coming from a kind of a divorced home, there was always the shuffling of the kids. Sure, every year, like one year, one parent got them. The next year, the other got them. I mean, there were memories I have of having Christmas in hotel rooms. Unfortunately, you know, there's stuff like that happens. Uh, if you're from a divorced family, you get a lot of that, right? Sure. Um, so there's there's definitely some pluses and minuses to that. I mean, you get two sets of presents, and as a ten year old, you're over the over the world about that. You get all you get two sets of gifts from four sets of grandparents. And oh wow! Just, it's, it's you know a lot of that happens, but it's very busy. So windfall on one day, yeah, exactly. On one day, you got to go uh, to this set of parents' grandparents' house and have dinner, and then the next day, you're doing it all over again, and it becomes this repetitive sort of thing, right? Ultimately, I wish as a kid everybody could just be together as at once. Sure. Right? Um, so I think the biggest thing I ever got besides the four wheeler was the GI Joe Terror Terror Dome Terror Dome Terror Dome. Yes. It was the Cobra thing. Oh, that had I remember. The ship it. shoot out yes. the middle of it, and the gates and the doors swung open, and they yes. had big guns, and there was all kinds of figures that were oh. special to it. I was a big Cobra guy, and my stepbrother was a big GI Joe guy. So in the same year, I got the Terror Dome. And he got the USS flag. Oh my god! It's the a big kid that aircraft I always carrier. wanted. My brother and I always wanted this thing. We were like friends with a kid down the street. We weren't really friends, but he had it. Go right. ahead. You were friends with him because he had it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that was. I want to go play with your aircraft carrier. Um, so yes, we turned the garage into a war zone. So we had the terradrome sitting up on like a mountain of pillows, but it was like a mountain. And then we had the carrier out in the sea. I'm doing air quotes. Of course. Uh, and you had the F-14 Tomcat, mm-hmm. whatever that was called, flying around sky striker or sky something, strike? yeah, something. All, ace, like ace striker. was the pilot. striker was the atv yeah ace was the pilot yeah keep going keep anyway, going keep going so yes gi joe up. stuff just out the wazoo and then nintendo happened and it was all downhill from there yeah i remember getting the gi joe hovercraft which uh, i think came out a couple years before the uss flag yes. remember the hovercraft and yes. like it actually floated like we I had would, that too so yep. So it was in a huge box, and that was like one of those that my parents were like, what about this one? Like, what is that big box? You open it up, G.I. Joe Hovercraft, yay, right? Yep. And so you're playing with Cutter, which was the, uh, the, the driver of it that I thought floated in water, and the actual Hovercraft did float. The fun thing about getting these, uh, these things, uh, these big, like, G.I. Joe things, like, they were, they, were, they were, you had to actually build them and snap the plastic mm-hmm. pieces together, and then you had to put a bunch of decals on them. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Right? So, like, my dad, being an engineer, would, would, would be like, I want to build, I want to play with them. Dad, like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. No, and then dad not like a military guy at all but he wanted to be meticulous oh, yeah. about putting everything together and he would just it would be like an hour to an hour and a half before we could actually play with the thing because he's like no no stop nope that goes there this decal goes here the depth charges go over here here's the thing that comes out of the front no, don't touch that that he would set it up in like the perfect like most meticulous way so the toy that we got looked exactly like the toy that you saw in the commercial and it Brilliant. was awesome he did that love it two little things i remember getting uh, and it wasn't like a big thing, but I remember wanting uh, in like 83, 84 when Return of the Jedi came out, like I really wanted the biker scout figure, the guy that drives a speeder bike, like, hey, go for help, that guy, <laughs> right? Yep. And there was also, do you remember Trap Jaw from He-Man? He was like the, he was a bad guy. He, uh, he was like, like Jaws from James Bond. Right, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but he had like, he had like a metal jaw and yeah. like he had a couple of like attachments you could switch on his arm and like, and, and like we would be at Target and Toys R Us and all those places, but I never, ever, ever, ever saw those toys anywhere. And one Christmas, we uh, before Christmas we went over and we took a train from South Bend, Indiana to Chicago. We went into like a Walgreens in Chicago. I remember this vividly. And there was like this like mecca where they like they had like all of these Star Wars figures. And there was there was the biker scout and like around the corner there was trap John. I saw these things. I was like, I can't believe it. I'm actually seeing it right. And then we went home and I was like sad because I actually saw them. I held those figures in my hand. And then of course a couple of days later I get them for Christmas. And then you figure out how it all works. 
but you know, it's one of those deals where like your parents, like, you know, go over there and look at that thing. And my brother and I run around the corner and then like, you know, the next day you, you get those things. And like, it was just magical. Like I remember getting castle gray skull, like all of these, like these like childhood memories of like getting the big toys. And as an adult, like the ones that I still don't have, cause I have a lot of the old stuff. I actually still have the hovercraft in my garage. If you ever want to see it. Mm. Um, we can't go that much deeper into that because I'll be over at your house for the next two weeks playing with G.I. Joe's like a 10-year-old. Okay. Uh, let's talk what I'm interested in because I don't have this experience or this perspective outside of the limited exposure that I have to my niece and nephew. What it's like to be a 40-year-old man with two young kids that are going through some of their early Christmases. And what I'm interested in hearing about more is... Um, what it's like to give them those gifts that you know will leave a lasting impression on them okay. long term. So it, it, this is a question I get a lot, not just about uh, Christmas, but about being a dad. Number one, yeah. I have two girls, seven and four. People ask me all the time, what's the best part about being a dad? And, and I always say the answer is getting to be a kid again or seeing everything through their eyes for the first time. So all of those tricks I learned that my parents did and all that magic, and we don't do the six-hour Christmas version. We do like the here's all the stuff and they open everything up. But there's... There's like all those like little subtle things you do like uh, hey, that's pretty cool. Like we walk around the toy store and like look at that stuff and like you know, I just take mental notes and now I can even like take a picture of all that stuff and immediately I'm ordering it on Amazon. Right. And it's it's that it's that classic like moment where you get to see them open that one thing that they want and then getting to relive that. Now all this stuff that I got excited about just telling you but then see it on the other side. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun. What is the ritual that you guys go through? I mean, what is the thing that they're most excited about this year that would be on the level of something like the USS flag? Or, you know, is there anything in recent years, maybe it's not this year, that they've been that excited about or will be that excited to open up on Christmas morning? Um, we've had the, the seven-year-old got like a, a princess bike a couple years ago. That was a big one. This year, they're both, uh, the youngest is really into Elena of Avalor and Moana both Disney princess stuff. So we're going to get, you know, they're going to open a thing that has a dress and they're going to open a thing that has a scepter and like all of this stuff. So they will get to play those characters and they're, it's going to blow their minds. They're into Pokemon as well. So they're going to get Pokemon cards and Pokemon this. And uh, Emily's going to get the, uh, the Pokemon games and they can't listen to this episode, but uh, <laughs> there, there you go. It, it's, it's, it's that. So you better not be letting them listen to it anyway. Cause we drop some F bombs every now and then. I'm, I'm able to turn it down when it's time. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> um, it's interesting for me being a single adult, that doesn't have kids and going through, and I've been doing this for many years now as we have some plans here that are more adult oriented, like, I don't know, going to the bar and getting a drink at midnight and wishing everybody Merry Christmas, you know, stuff like that. Uh, eating one of my favorite traditions when I don't go home is I like to order uh, Chinese food on Christmas Eve around nine o'clock because that is the only thing that's open. Yep. I think even McDonald's closes at uh, six or seven o'clock on Christmas Eve. So the the only thing that's ever open on Christmas Eve is Chinese food. That's become a bit of a tradition for me. Uh, eggnog on Christmas morning is a very, very big tradition uh, in my house. Uh, that's just something you do to wish luck, and there's all kinds of stuff behind that. So, but it, mine tends to be a little bit more I enjoy. Uh, I'm you know self-pronounced atheist. I, I'm not a big on the religious side of things. My, back, my family is, is much more Christian. So they all do the midnight mass and going to church on Christmas Day and all that stuff. And that was always something as a kid that I was just like, eh, whatever. But I did it. I went through the motions. Now that looking back on it, it's something that I would like to you know, do with my parents just to make mom smile, even if it's that simple. And it re- whether or not you, uh, whether or not you believe in that stuff, it reminds you of a certain time and it reminds you oh. it's, it's the whole, it's the, like, uh, there's something about that that just r- brings back all those memories sure. and it's about, and it's getting the family together. So yeah, that's a really important thing for a lot of people. Right. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about here was um, 
What's the future look like? Let's talk about the Ghost of Christmas future, because in a sense, we talk about a lot of stuff on this show that is very future-oriented. We talk a lot about sci-fi. We talk a lot about fantasy. We talk about um, the world that we might be living in in the next five to ten years. I'm curious what the gifts of 20 years from now will be. Are you going to buy a 16-year-old a self-driving car? Because what would be the point? Uh, do they even need cars anymore? Who knows? Uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I get my head wrapped around. But if we look at the development of smartphones, just in the la- iPhone came out in 2006. Yeah. So we've had 10 years of iPhone. Yeah. What's the next? And we've come as far as we have in 10 years. Facebook's been around for 10 years. It started out as some stupid platform like a matchmaking thing on universities now look at what it is right so if we look at the technologies and the the things that we do for entertainment today what do we think from 10 to 20 years from now what that's going to look like first thing that jumps out to me is there won't be video game consoles uh there won't be phones you'll just you'll just be in your living room and you'll talk to somebody but kind of like you would talk to an ai but you'll just be like hey uh let's talk to nick Yep. And I'll just be in my living room, and I'll just be like, hey, man, what's going on? You'll be like, not much. What are you doing? But there won't be like a phone you'll be holding in your hand to do it, and you won't have a Bluetooth headset in your head you know, to, to connect your phone. I think that's all going to be gone. I think you'll have a chip in your head. Could be. And I think, you'll, I think in 20 years, this is my own personal theory, we're going to have some kind of chip or device that will attach somehow, and we'll get a Terminator-like heads-up oh, wow. display. That would be cool. With, and it'll say, incoming call from Andy Nelson. Nice. And you just do some kind of eye wink or gesture, right? Cool. And it, that's what my personal theory is. I think we're going to have uh, heads-up displays and Terminator interfaces in the next 20 years. So it's funny that you bring that up because let's all this stuff we've talked about, about like our uh, memories of around the tree and opening gifts and all that sort of stuff, does that going to exist anymore? Will, we, will there be physical gifts? I mean, toys are always going to be toys. Whether or not it'll right. be a digital toy or whatever, there'll be something that kids have to get their hands on. There will still be clothes and things and dolls, like right? That, that, that still has to exist. So you have to get those somehow. You won't. I don't think you'll have to go to a brick-and-mortar store to do that anymore. I don't know if if the magic of like Santa coming down the chimney and you know you get up in the morning and there's a stocking full of stuff. I don't know if that'll exist anymore. It might. Uh, just I because, think that's up to us as adults and 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 uh, as, as a culture. And I mean, as a culture, I, I think that's just to it, continue that. Sure. Right? I, I saw a video today of a four or five year old absolutely losing his mind because his parents went through the effort of putting footprints in the house oh cool out of flour oh cool they looked like they said it was santa's snow from the north pole That's and they cool. had they ate his uh pies or his cookies that he left out uh all the presents and he absolutely lost his mind That's so, so cool. i think if that carries forward if that tradition continues to go on which i think it will uh what is under the tree is what's interesting what uh, parents are giving kids as gifts what your kids will be giving their kids as gifts is interesting to me. Um, the the material items themselves, what those kinds of things will be. Because if again, smartphones are going to become ubiquitous. I think your six year old one day will be able to create his own wish list on Amazon, and then just brips send to Santa. You know, maybe that's a fun gag that they do. Sure, right. So stuff like that. I just I think we're going to become continue to become more digital, continue to become more technologically advanced. Does that mean little girls in twenty years are going to stop playing with dolls? I don't think so. Does that mean little boys are going to be less interested in sports gear? I don't think so. I think all that stuff's fundamentally going to stay the same. But I think we're going to see these new things start to evolve. So things like the hoverboard that came out this year, right? Sure, that was a, that's probably a hot ticket item. I think it's it's ultimately going to be whatever it is. I think the the simple tradition and the simple concept of that one day 
being around uh, a fire or whatever it is with your family and just just sitting around and celebrating and gifting each other whatever physical or technological gifts there are. Right. It's a special day no matter what, and it's always going to exist. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that anymore, regardless of what it is under the tree, regardless of what the gifts are or are not. That fundamental concept needs to absolutely stay. So let us know what your favorite geek toys were. Uh, do you have a special memory or a milestone that uh, was special to you for Christmas that you, maybe a tradition that you want to carry forward to your kids and your family? Yeah, I'd love like to know. Yeah, I, I think that would be awesome. So look, uh, some fun stuff here to wrap up the show. Uh, an element to me of holidays is always holiday movies. Yep. And I think this really starts right around Thanksgiving where people start watching things like Christmas Vacation, yep. uh, other kinds of Christmassy movies once we get past Thanksgiving dinner. There, it kind of signals the beginning of the Christmas season, right? Sure. So there was a special one. One of my all-time favorite Christmas movies is Home Alone. And what I wanted to do um, for this kind of fun stuff segment is tell a fun story. Okay. And this is by a guy named Daniel Stern, who you'll know as Marv. He's also the voiceover guy from The Wonder Years. That's very true, yep. Uh, Marv was the one of the two with Joe Pesci were yep. the two bad guys that broke into the burglars, Macaulay right. Culkin's house. Okay. The burglars, right? So he tells this story, and I'm going to read it for you guys here. One of my favorite scenes from Home Alone 2 is when I got electrocuted at the water spigots. <laughs> the reason it is so dear to me is because when I shot that scene, we hadn't yet rehearsed, so I didn't really know what to expect. Our director, Chris Columbus, had given me the basic blocking to walk into the basement, make my way to the sink, grab hold of the spigots, and then act like I was being electrocuted. From the corner of the basement, they would be running two cameras, a wide shot and a closer angle, both at the same time. Take one begins, and I went over and grabbed the spigots and started shaking myself violently. (laughs) I wiggled and screamed and shook and did everything else I could think to be electrocuted in the funniest ways I knew how. But the director didn't say cut. I figured I wasn't giving him what he wanted, so I just kept going, getting sillier and sillier. My voice traveling octaves above my normal voice. And still, (laughs) no cut. I was out of moves, so I decided to abandon ship by shivering and shaking my way out of frame and onto the floor. I figured Chris would have to end the shot now, but still, oh man, no cut. Wow. Now on the floor, I writhed and squirmed and spasmed, hoping that I wasn't completely humiliating myself, but figuring there is always the forgiving take two. jeez. Oh, With a final flourish of my ridiculous death scene, I finally lay still on the floor and still, no cut from Chris. Exhausted and out of ideas to what to do next, I wondered for a second if the crew had all gone to lunch or something. (laughs) I broke character and rolled on my side to see what the hell was going on. And that is when I saw my director, Chris Columbus, my fearless leader, lying on the floor as well. He was underneath the camera, howling with laughter, unable to say cut because he was going through his own spasms. That's funny. That's a great story. To make Chris laugh that hard was one of the greatest accomplishments of my acting life, and I will never forget the feeling of locking eyes with him, both of us rolling on the floor, young kids making each other laugh on the funniest playground ever invented. That's a really great story. I think that is awesome. That is the epitome of what acting is all about. That is the epitome of what directing, movie making, Hollywood is all about. And I love that he was able to share that story with us. What, 26 years later? Yeah, that's great. That is a fantastic story. And that's, you know, from Daniel Stern played Marv in Home Alone. You know who else was Home Alone was Jen Erso after the beginning of the movie when she's. uh, Oh. I promise you guys we're going to do a bonus episode of Rogue One. We're just not going to put it in this one. As much as Andy wants to, 
as much as he has driven me absolutely crazy this episode trying to get it in, I promise you we're going to have some bonus content for you guys, so stick around for that. Fair enough. You know what the Emperor would be good at? Now, he's not in Rogue One. Did I just spoil that? Well, either way, you know what he'd be really good at? Lightning round. All right, so uh, we've just talked about it. Uh, we just talked about Home Alone 2, which is a horrible Christmas movie, but it's still a Christmas movie. Ready? It's not horrible. It's not good, but name as many Christmas movies as you can Go! Christmas Vacation. Yep. Christmas Story is sure. the obvious one. Sure. Scrooged. Oh, this is one of my favorites. The, uh, what's the black and white one? God bless us, everyone. Oh. Uh, little Timmy. <laughs> it's oh. Christmas Carol. Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> sure. Uh, Christmas Carol. That's okay. a good one. Okay. Uh, what are some of yours? Uh, I'm up at Christmas Carol. You can also do movies that are also set around Christmas. Die Hard. You can do... Yes. Uh, you could do... Uh, Woodland uh, Critter Christmas. Sure. Woodland <laughs> Critter Christmas. Uh, last uh, la- uh, Long Kiss Goodnight is set around Christmas. Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, the Santa Claus the with Santa Tim Claus. Allen, right? Sure. Uh, you said Miracle on Thursday. It's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful movie. Life, yes. Uh, the Ref. Remember The Ref with Dennis Leary? That's a great That's one. My, that, that is probably one of my favorite Dennis Leary movies of all time. Obviously Home Alone. Bad Santa. Uh, uh, thank you. I was saving that one until... Absolute last. That is probably my all-time favorite Christmas movie as an adult. You can't show it to your kids. No. But it's Bad Santa, and we're getting a sequel. We just watched uh, Santa's Sleigh on Monday night Fantastic. at the, the bar with Goldberg. Goldberg is like a is like a murderous Santa, yes. which is hilarious. <laughs> Don't watch that with your kids. Why? Oh. You have to do Gremlins, yeah. right? Right, and of course, for the lady listeners, you have to mention Love Actually. Oh yeah, you have to mention Four Christmases. Oh sure, you know uh, you can't forget about Elf. Oh yeah, you can't forget about Ernest Saves Christmas. Sure. So there's a ton of Christmas movies. One of my other favorite ones has to be Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh yeah, well. how could I forget about that? That's so actually one of my favorites. There too. are there's no shortage. I can't believe we didn't even say The Grinch. Oh yeah. Fantastic, right? Not the Jim Carrey one. Right. And then you've got the Peanuts Christmas. Sure. Uh, so all kinds of stuff, right? There is no shortage of content to watch with your family and enjoy. Don't watch Bad Santa with your family unless they're all adults. It's Don't do that. It, it's hilarious. It's one of my favorite ones. Uh, so, yeah, guys, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. And happy holidays. And, Nick, happy holidays to you. This, I will just say, uh, it has been a pleasure doing this over the uh, the last couple of weeks, 16 weeks to be exact. Uh, I've really enjoyed it, and uh, a Merry Christmas to you, and Happy Holidays to you and your family as well. Oh, thank you. Same to you, brother, and uh, Happy Holidays to you and your family. I hope every, uh, the girls get everything that they want, which, from what you've told me, they are getting that and then some. Uh, as as usual, yes. Yes. So <laughs> I'm still waiting on you to tell me what I can get them that you haven't already gotten them, so please let me know. And uh, guys, let us know uh, what you guys are, what your kids are most excited about, you know, what you're most excited about to get for you or for a loved one. Uh, I'm Nick Howell. You can find me over at Data Center Dude on Twitter. And I'm Andy Nelson at Andy Nelson 76. You can find me watching Rogue One again so I can actually talk about it in our standalone episode at some point, uh, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that's going to be our show. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. Whichever one of those you celebrate. We hope you have a fantastic time. Thank you very much for listening to us really kick this show off in 2016. We've got one more for you this year, and uh, we'll talk about some of the top things of 2016 next week. And we'll be doing that later. Bye. This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out, orbitaljigsaw.com.